Hello, everyone. Hello. Welcome back to Cinematic Conversion. We are continuing our Denis Villeneuve marathon in preparation for Dune. Dune Part 2, which is literally tomorrow. Um, and as such, we will be reviewing Dune Part 1. For those of you who have been following along, this is another movie made by Denis Villeneuve um, came out in 2021 mm-hmm. rocked our world we've been thinking about it ever since uh, Colin had a meltdown when this part two was delayed last year <laughs> well so Denise kind of had bad luck with the Dune franchise just in general because Dune part one was supposed to come out late 2020 but then the little panty hit and then <laughs> everything <laughs> then everything that got little panty the little panty hit <laughs> and everything got delayed including dune for a year and then dune part 2 was supposed to come out in november of 2023 but then the actor strike happened and they were like well we got to delay this one too so He's had some bad luck with these, but they've been really well received. Um, I would say that like Dune Part One is like very much like an. We'll really dive into it here in a sec, but it's really more of an introductory, just story of this world overall because it's very complicated. It's very like Game of Thrones esque, mm-hmm. but just in sci-fi in the sci-fi genre. So there's lots of characters to introduce. There's lots of, you know, terminology and things going on. So the first movie is a lot of setup. But anyway, I will shut up. I well, talked way too much. No, you you <laughs> talked the perfect amount. Because um, you're totally right. There's a lot. There's a lot to chew on. A lot of this movie is set up, which I enjoy. Some people thought it was boring because there's just so much to set up in mm-hmm. anticipation for what's to come. But these books, this book series is humongous. This world is humongous. Um, and so we'll get started. So brief summary for those of you who don't want any spoilers. The movie follows Paul Atreides, played by Timothy Chalamet, who is a brilliant and gifted young man born into a destiny beyond his understanding. He must travel to the most dangerous planet in the universe, Arrakis, to ensure the future of his family and his people. As malevolent forces explode into conflict over the planet's exclusive supply of spice, the most precious resource in existence, only those who can conquer their own fear will survive. Um, that's a whole lot of nothing, honestly. Like the, <laughs> That tells you not very that much. That really tells you maybe <laughs> 0.01%, but hey, what more can you ask for from no spoilers? Um, but Colin, tell us what awards this movie won, was nominated for, uh, for part one. So critically, I mean, it was well received, I think less so than other Denis Villeneuve films, just because it is very heady. There's a lot of themes, there's lots going on. So there's lots to pack in the movie. And so it was critically well received, but not as much as like Arrival or like Sicario or one of his other movies. But it did somehow, I think it's just because it's such a technical achievement overall 
just like everything you could think of when it comes to the craft is just like over the top exceptional. And so it's actually his most nominated movie so far. Um, so I think it got 10 nominations. So it was nominated for best picture, best adapted screenplay. Cause this is based off of a book series, um, best original score for Hans Zimmer, which he actually won. Um, if you know who Hans Zimmer is, he made the score for like the dark Knight trilogy for like the lion King, I think. When the score in Dune is, is very unique. It's, it's very, very unique. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Han, you little prodigy, you. <laughs> uh, best costume design, best sound, best film editing, best makeup, best cinematography, best production design, and best visual effects. It won six of these. So it did really well. But um, yeah, I think it deserves all of these. Like the visual effects are some of the best I've like literally ever seen. Oh, yeah. Um, the production design is exceptional cinematography. Greg Frazier is the cinematographer on this movie. He did the cinematography for the Batman movie with mm. Robert Pattinson, which also has great cinematography. Um, and he won for this and he probably will win for part two, just honestly, from what we can see from the trailers. So, um, well some other notable people in this movie are some of the cast. There's the some, cast is stacked. So yes. some big hitters. So as I mentioned, we have Timothy Chalamet playing Paul Atreides. Um, Lady Jessica, who is Paul's mom, is replayed by Rebecca Ferguson. So never enough. That's <laughs> I love that. That's what you think. <laughs> that's what I. That's when I first saw Rebecca Ferguson. Oh really? Yeah, was the Greatest Showman. I had seen her in there's a the sequel to The Shining, Doctor Sleep. And then she was also in the Mission Impossible franchise. So, Oh, well, Slay, Rebecca, congrats on the career. <laughs> Happy for you, girl. And you do amazing in this this movie. Can't wait to see you in part two. Um, Duke Leto Atreides, so that's Lady Jessica's like lover and Paul's dad, is played by Oscar Isaac, who is father. Who is woof, 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 woof. <laughs> um, Duncan Idaho, who is Paul Atreides, kind of like... BFF and military guy is played by Jason Momoa. Um, Glosu Rabin, Robin, Robin, uh, Robin, I think. Yeah. Um, one of the evil people, one of the malevolent forces is played by Dave Bautista, which he eats. He's so good in this role as well. Um, the evil Baron Vladimir Harkonnen, who's like the supreme overlord of the bad forces, is played by Stellan Skarsgård. Um, and then we have Stilgar and Chani, who are like. Fremen, which we'll go into who those people are in a minute. Uh, Stilgar is played by Javier Bardem, and then Chani is played by um, Zendaya. So, without further ado, there is a lot to break down with this movie, so we are going to go ahead and get started. Um, Colin, how is this sci-fi world of Dune similar to other sci-fi movies, and how is it different? So... This franchise, because the book series was actually written in like the 60s. So it's been a long, long time. So a lot of like the big sci-fi franchises that you are aware of, like Star Wars and even like fantasy genres. So Game of Thrones were inspired from Dune. So like everyone's like, oh, this is very Star Wars-esque. And it's like, well, no, this actually came first. So this is actually, Star Wars is actually <laughs> Dune-esque. <laughs> mister but it's different because they this is set way in the future and they've kind of like rejected ai and all its forms 
um, and they have just kind of like bred people to be what their a- AI is. <laughs> so sorry, Jace had like a little coughing fit there and I am immature and was laughing. So we had to pause. <laughs> He's okay now. I'm just gagged for Dune. (laughs) But um, anywho, so this franchise is different because they, like I said, they've kind of rejected all forms of AI. So they've bred people over the years to become like supercomputers, essentially. So like they have what's called a mentat who's like the the person that like serves all these houses and is like their computer. So they'll like ask them questions and they can like come up with it in two seconds. Cause they're so incredibly intelligent type thing. So they've like rejected any like form of that, like any computer or AI or whatever they fight with swords, like and knives, like it's very interesting. And some guns. I didn't understand There's some that. guns, but they're not like laser guns yeah. from like star Wars. Um, but mostly like they're knife fights. Yeah. Um, so that's interesting. Um, and they involve a lot of like politics into the equation. So I know that they do that in star Wars quite a bit, but even more so here. Cause like religion is an aspect of it. So like religion plays a lot into the politics of things. Like everyone's very spiritual. And so it's very interesting in that sense too. Cause when you think of, like different sci-fi franchises they've like kind of rejected religion almost Mm -hmm. but this one doesn't it like kind of embraces it um in one way or another but it's very game of thrones in outer space well that's what i mean like in game of thrones they talk about you know the gods all the time yeah like in this they don't necessarily talk about gods but they talk about you know there's something called the bene Gesserit that we'll go into in a sec and they're like this religious group and they like really have control over like everything that goes on so like religion plays a huge part into it so that's what i find interesting about this franchise so in summary would you say it's similar in the fact that we're across the universe it's different that technology is not the main focus of the science fiction part it's Mm -hmm. more people yes okay very cool um the movie centers around two main houses. So as you meant, as we mentioned, it is very Game of Thrones-esque. So each planet is basically like run by a different house. And all of the planets in the universe are overseen by the emperor of the universe. And so the movie centers around two main houses, House Atreides, which is Paul's house, and then House Harkonnen. So Colin, what are these houses like? What do you think they represent? And how are they different from each other? So I think initially at least from the movie's perspective. I I haven't read the book. Um, I'm interested in reading it. I've heard it's very descriptive and different from the movies, but I'm interested in reading them. But anyway, the movie itself kind of depicts House Atreides as like the good side, at least initially. Well, you can even see that in the planet that they're on. Mm -hmm. It's like, what is it? Galadan is the planet. Caladan, yeah. Caladan. And it's like beautiful. It's like a water planet, basically. Coastal. Think like coastal England with like the Mm -hmm. big cliffs and like the beautiful ocean. It's very pretty. So it's definitely screaming Gorgine. Yeah. (laughs) Gorgine goodness. But then you contrast that with like the Harkonnen's planet. I cannot pretend to know how to pronounce the name of their planet. It's like 
Giegi Prime or something like that. I I'm don't, butchering that. It, but their planet is like if Elon Musk decorated <laughs> an entire universe. It's very Tesla, is it not? Like it is, but they have like a a black sun from that like shines over their planet. So like the lighting is very different. It's very bleak, you know. Like, and they're all bald. They're all bald. Even the girls, everyone bald. Yes. No eyebrows, bald. <laughs> but they're depicted as like pure evil they're very brutal you know and they are kind of the oppressors of the fremen that we mentioned earlier so but yeah they're depicted as the bad side well, and here they're they're oppressors because so they live on their weird black sun emo planet mm -hmm. but the emperor has given them permission to go to arrakis which arrakis is like this desert planet mm -hmm. where the fremen live yes. and they're going to arrakis to harvest something called spice mm -hmm. and spice is like orange floating sand that basically allows for space travel because as colin mentioned they don't believe in like ai yeah you know so in order to navigate safely through space you like i guess throw spice out into space and then it will guide you to like the safe passages so without spice there is no like space travel mm -hmm. so spice therefore has become this hugely sought after resource and because the harkonnens are the ones who are harvesting and selling the spice they've become extremely wealthy that's why their planet is like so tesla vibes it's just like yeah. very like chic modern black shiny and i think that also plays into a part about why they're so evil like it's the epitome of like profit over people they are just killing everyone because they're just money 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 yeah um and so they're just extremely brutal and savage and just truly on only care about like spice production and spice sales yeah um in a word well yeah and so like jace mentioned there's an emperor kind of like the king of the seven kingdoms type thing from game of thrones very similar vibe where he's like the emperor over all of these houses and different planets in this universe and he's not shown in this movie he'll be in part two but he'll be played by christopher walken but um he designated the harkonnens to take you know regime or whatever over the planet arrakis to like helm the spice production because mm -hmm. they were kind of like notino shade the best at it because the fremen are the, the natives to the that natives planet. to the planet so they were like messing with things a lot of the time and so they became the oppressors of the the, the fremen because they were just like getting in the way essentially uh, from the harkonnens perspective you know and so but eventually it just like became like this thing to oppress the fremen for them so they just like intentionally were brutal to them and like killed their people and all and whatnot enslaved and so them. enslaved yeah, them and so they're not good people but and the story comes to an interesting crossover between these two houses because the harkonnens who have ruled spice production on arrakis this desert planet for centuries the emperor emperor has told them to pack their bags and go home and has assigned the Atreides family, so Paul and his family living on this beautiful cultural beach planet, coastal beach planet, to now go take over spice production instead. Which everyone's just like, um, what? Mm -hmm. That's a little kooky, that's a little crazy. And even the Duke Atreides is like, uh, I think there's something afoot here, but I'm gonna go do what I'm told. Yeah, they're suspicious because it had Arrakis had been run by the Harkonnens for 
centuries basically so it's just like i think they're interest is an interesting contrast right you kind of it's like your classic good and evil mm-hmm. um obviously it's more complex than that but i i appreciate the 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 meaning of both houses i mean duke atreides is definitely more lovey and like he's very sweet to his family and to his people all about like honor and respect and duty so which is completely the opposite of what the baron vladimir harkonnen stands for he's like the duke basically of house atreides and he's just like the opposite you do what i say if you don't i'm gonna kill you and your family and anyone who's ever spoken to you yeah um anyway um but yeah so that's what these houses basically represent and how they differ from each other um but there's also this group of women called the bene Gesserit. so jace who are the bene Gesserit, and what does the reverend mother mean when she tells paul that he has the more than one birthright so the bene Gesserit are the baddest bitches in the universe <laughs> you know for lack of a better word they really are they're kind of like this like witchy group that rose to power as the society was moving away from technology and ai so it's not super explained in the movie why they have these powers but they they do have these powers they use something called the voice which is basically this power to like command people to do what you say and all you the bene Gesserit is only females mm-hmm. and so they're basically bred and trained to harness this power and there's all these rituals that they grow through to increase their power and they can do more than just use the voice but they're taught since they're little and then they're kind of deployed to the planets to be this kind of spiritual-esque guide mm-hmm. on each planet um they wear the s- <laughs> most iconic clothing um it's like if nuns served so much coont like they just are incredible i love the bene Gesserit and they're kind of evil but that's okay but anyway so the bene Gesserit also is basically this girls group that is kind of plotting behind the scenes i'd say mm-hmm. so obviously there's the emperor but the bene Gesserit is also doing their own thing because as i said they're the baddest bitches in the universe so mm-hmm. emperor sure babe we can pretend you're in charge but we all know what's really going on yeah and the bene Gesserit's whole thing is they're trying to establish this breeding program with members of the Bene Gesserit and then really top leaders of the houses until they can, you know, continue to cross these bloodlines until they essentially create this superhuman. Mm -hmm. So because the Bene Gesserit are iconic and have powers, they can control what baby they have in their stomach. Mm -hmm. Um, And so Jessica, Lady Jessica, Paul's mom, is a part of the Bene Gesserit. Mm-hmm. So she was assigned to have a baby with Duke Leto Atreides because he's super powerful and skilled and talented and he's like one link further in creating this superhuman messiah guy. Who? What's the name for that guy? It's the Quisach Hatterach. Quisach Hatterach. Hatterach, yes. So the Quisach Hatterach, when you hear that in the movie, that's basically this like messiah super being. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be the first male Bene Gesserit ever born and he's going to be super powerful and he's going to slay. Yeah. What happens though is Lady Jessica is assigned to reproduce with um, Leto Atreides. They fall in love and, you know, in order to... They fall in love, and because they're in love, you know, Leto, Duke Leto Atreides isn't going to marry someone else. So if he has a child with Jessica, and she's supposed to give a girl because it's like 
she's supposed to continue the link. It's not her turn to produce the the Messiah, the Quisac Hatterach. Mm -hmm. But because she loves him so much and wants him to have an heir, she gives him a boy, which is Paul. And this, we find out, is one step too soon. Yeah. You know, so she kind of... She screwed up the... She screwed the pooch. The timeline, yeah. yeah. She kind of uh, just like turned their whole plan to shit because she loved the Duke so much. I mean, and it's Oscar Isaac, so... <laughs> I see you, Lady Jessica, I understand. But they have Paul, and now Paul is like this superhuman because he's, you know, the son of this very, very powerful Duke and the son of a Bene Gesserit. So I... It's not specifically mentioned why the Reverend Mother, who's like the queen of the Bene Gesserit, says that Paul has more than one birthright, but that's what it's alluding to, because he doesn't know. He has mm -hmm. no idea that there's this like whole Bene Gesserit breeding program. That's all, you know, something his mom has kept from him yeah. um, until right before they're about to leave for Arrakis, he, he figures that out. And I think they end up telling him at this point, like the point of like his Bene Gesserit teachings and whatever. Cause like they teach him to use the voice, which is like basically the force. Like you just like can control people and like tell them what to do. But, um, so he knows how to do that. And I think he like is confused on why he has to like go through all these teachings that are normally like taught to women basically. But they know because the Bene Gesserit had been on Arrakis and had been preaching about this Messiah for centuries that was going to come and save the Fremen from, you know, their oppressors and give them a better future type thing. And so she knew that when they got there, they were going to be like, there was potential that they'd be like, oh, this is our Messiah. They know about him type thing. And so... Yeah, I think that's why they tell him at this point, and that's why they rush through like all of these tests well, and because they. The, it's I think important to mention that the Bene Gesserit are pissed at Lady Jessica. Yes. She was not supposed to do that mm -hmm. because it's it's early. It's like a cycle early. So Jessica was supposed to have a girl, and that girl, her daughter, was supposed to be the mother of this Messiah, the Quisac Cataract, <laughs> or what is it? Quisac Quisac Cataract. The the Cataract. Um, <laughs> But she didn't, and so that's why, like, the whole Bene Gesserit, the Reverend Mother is the baddest bitch in the universe. And the actress that plays her is fantastic. And she comes in the middle of the night to House Atreides, and she's like, Hi, Jessica, baby. Um, this little Superman that you decided to create, we're going to need to make sure he's not a killer, yeah. sweetie, because he has all of this power. So she shoves his hand in this little tiny box, and then she holds this, like, poisonous needle to his neck, and she's like, you're about to experience the most terrible pain you've ever felt in your life and if you take your hand out i'm gonna kill you yeah um and so paul passes because as Colin mentioned he's been trained in the bene Gesserit ways to like handle pain and be powerful and so he's having to convince the bene Gesserit that like he can do it and be the messiah lady jessica's like i need to make sure that he doesn't fail or they're gonna kill him and then we also have the fremen who like have been being socialized by the bene Gesserit that this messiah is going to come mm -hmm. but now paul's about to go to their planet you know, and so they're going to think that it's him. Yeah. Well, and I think they also kind of hint that, like, Paul doesn't believe that this is a real thing. Like, his mom keeps telling him, you know, like, you're special. You're the one that's going to save everyone. And he's like, you guys have just been, like, making this propaganda about this person for centuries. Like, who says that it's even true? Like, yeah. you're just basically giving these people propaganda so that they can serve you type thing. But, yeah. This... this is like essentially the 
central part of the story and like what carries on the narrative throughout you know the rest of the movie is him discovering you know parts about himself that make him this messiah over the course of the movie um and spice has a lot to do with it as well like he's very sensitive to the spice that jace talked about like it helps him see into the future Mm -hmm. and have all these visions about people that he's going to meet and whatever and, and so you see very, snippets of that throughout the movie, which can feel confusing, mm-hmm. but he's like seeing into the future. Yeah. So he sees Chani, who's played by Zendaya. The Zendaya. The Zendaya music video, the, basically. The Zendaya music video. There's just like really intense music anytime that she shows up in one of his visions. But, and she doesn't have a huge part in this movie, but he knows that she'll be important later on because he keeps seeing her, you know? And he's like, who is this? tantalizing young woman in the Mm -hmm. desert but you don't know but yeah so she's a fremen so that leads me into the next question um the fremen are arguably one of the most interesting parts of dune so what makes them so interesting and how does denis use his craft to demonstrate the unique people and their culture okay so the fremen are the natives of arrakis recap arrakis is this desert planet with spice and it's like Full Sahara, full Gobi, like mm-hmm. no water for as far as the like the eye can see. There's also these ginormous sandworms that are attracted to like rhythm. So anytime they hear rhythm, mm-hmm. they'll come and they'll just like suck up everything around them. They're humongous. And it's just like incredibly hot, incredibly cruel. It's like the harshest place on the planet. But there are these natives there who have like figured out how to live there. And I think what makes them so interesting is just a the sheer grit it would take to survive on that planet and the fremen have been able to actually cultivate a true society and this society from the books is largely influenced by um like middle east culture um so the the costumes kind of lend themselves the architecture kind of hints to things like that the the clothing hints to things like that but i think denis does a really good job of taking the inspiration from the book and hinting towards you know the real life examples that we'd be able to relate to but still making it its own thing and i think he brought together a really good team yeah if you really pay attention to the details of like the storytelling and the carvings on all of the architecture or like all of the buildings or the clothing or even just the rituals it's such an interesting amazing place yeah and i think they did a really good job at you know paying homage to like the legends and the the spirituality of the fremen they're like much more spiritual and myth oriented than i think other people in the universe yeah um so it's just a really interesting culture and they just have to do so much to survive Mm -hmm. it's like an interesting balance of pure scientific um ingenious mixed with like kind of this mystical mythological legend spiritualism vibe which i just Mm -hmm. think is really interesting they're just like very interesting people yeah um and they just got a lot of grit and i think denis really shows that by just assembling the right people to do costumes you know set design um i think all the shots of the the desert that he did too just really paint a really real world that's really believable Mm -hmm. well and they're kind of like in the shadows a lot like they don't i think they like built a world underground not only because the planet has been you know just the weather conditions are so extreme i mean there's even a time of day like where no one can really be outside because the heat is so intense you know and 
so they like built they build their cities underground and like they've been able to cultivate a society that the Harkonnens didn't even know that there are millions of them you know they thought there was like a few thousand of them on the planet but because they were so oblivious to their culture you know they just like were like yeah they're insignificant there's only a few thousand of them but then because Leto sent someone to go Jason Momoa's character goes down to one of the what do they call them Sikhs Sikhs yeah I don't know just like a little tiny city you know underground in caves where the fremen live and he discovers that there's like thousands of these little places and so he's like there has to be millions of fremen out there then and then one of them ends up like talking about like the negotiations with Lido. so this man stillgar is played by javier bardem and he comes up and he's like as long as you guys like don't bother us and like just leave us alone like we'll we'll, be peaceful we'll be peaceful to you guys and then he like turns to paul and he's like i recognize you and paul's like what the hell why did he say that to me well and that's a good segue into our next question Mm -hmm. which is dune tells the story of Lisan Al-Gaib, or the voice from the outer world, which will someday share the dreams of the Fremen and lead them to fulfillment. So Colin mentioned that, right? The Fremen have been taught that there's going to be this Messiah, this Lisan Al-Gaib that's going to come and basically turn their planet, their desert planet into a paradise and kind of free them from their hardships. Um, This is a legend among the Fremen, but it started from the Bene Gesserit. So the mm-hmm. Bene Gesserit have been sending missionaries to Arrakis to preach about this Messiah and tell them the signs of when he's going to come. Um, Paul. So when Paul and his mom, you know, land on planet Arrakis under the emperor's order with their dad, the Fremen and, and like are freaking out and Javier, Javier, Javier Bardem's character is like saying like, I know you. And Paul's like, what is going on? Why are the Fremen being so weird to me yeah like why why i have this whole planet gagged and um his mom explains that his arrival is seen as a sign confirming their coming of a savior and that savior is paul to this paul says they only see what they are taught to see so he knows that the bene Gesserit has been like sending missionaries here he now knows that he's like part of this breeding program that the Bene Gesserit have been, you know, pulling the strings behind the scenes, and he's kind of peeved about it because he's like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be some messiah. Like, I'm just trying to hang out with my dad and yeah. catch some waves. <laughs> um, but I think it, it, you know, provokes a really interesting question. You know, is belief necessary for a savior? And does it matter if the Fremen were taught to believe in the coming of their messiah or not? I, that's a great question. I think it does matter in this specific case because the Bene Gesserit are, you know, pulling the strings everywhere. So, you know, they're sending their missionaries down to Arrakis to preach to the Fremen in a way that they understand in their culture. That's why they call them the Lisan Al-Gaib instead of the, you know, Kwisatz Haderach, you know. (laughs) And they, like, are, they've been waiting for him for centuries. They've been preaching about him for centuries. So obviously there's going to be, you know, stories passed down, you know, you know, generation by generation. And like, they're going to tell all these prophecies and whatnot. And I think they like, eventually they're like almost self-fulfilling prophecies in a way because the Bene Gesserit are, you know, not manufacturing. Cause it's like also true at the same time, but they're like, we're going to do this 
but we're not going to tell them we're going to do this. We're going to tell them, look for this sign. Well, yeah, because they're like, like manipulating the situation. They are because like they pulled the strings about sending Paul and his family to Arrakis themselves. Like they only were there because of the Bene Gesserit and the emperor, you know? Yeah. So I think in this case, it, I don't know. It's tough because Paul doesn't believe that he could be a savior to these people. But at the same time, the Bene Gesserit are so, you know, far advanced in their knowledge and their physical capabilities that they know that they've created this super being. So it's like, can he actually save them? Or is it just like manufactured destiny? I don't know. I guess my question would be, I think it depends on what the intention is from the Bene Gesserit. Yeah. And I think that's what we're going to find out in part two, right? Like, mm -hmm. why did they do that? Yeah. You know, I think when I think of like religion, right? Arrakis is this terribly, terribly hard place to live on. It is excruciating. And I think, you know, prophesying of this Messiah gives people hope. And I don't think you can doubt the power of hope. There's actually like real scientific studies. This one's actually really sad where they dropped rats in a bucket of water and they couldn't get out. And in one group, they never rescued the rat. So they would just like let the rat swim until it drowned. And it could swim for like 12 minutes and then it would just die. In the other group, they would let the rat swim until it was just about to like stop. And then they would lift it out of the water, you know, for a second. And then they would put it back in. Mm -hmm. And then the rat could, would be able to swim for like six hours. Mm -hmm. So because it had the hope of getting rescued, it like furthered its ability to be able to endure and to fight. And so I think in that sense, like telling people about a Messiah and giving them something to hope for is really helpful. I think human beings respond really well to that. I think even today, you know, people who are religious, I don't blame them. Life's hard. And sometimes you need something to hope for and sometimes you need something to rely on. And I think we're all just trying to find what we can rely on and what we can hope for. Yeah. Um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think even if you're taught that, I think being taught to hope in something just increases your ability to survive. I think that's a great thing. I think it makes better people. Where I think it becomes problematic is when bad people use hope to manipulate a group of people. So they're that's saying, what I think is happening. Here. Yeah, and yeah. that's where I say, I think the question is, what is the intention? Mm -hmm. If the intention really is the Bene Gesserit are like, you know what, we're going to create this superhuman so that we can save the people on Arrakis because they deserve it and we love them. Then I'm like, slay. Yeah, teach them about a Messiah. Someone's coming to help them. Like, that's incredible. But if they're like, we're going to create this superhuman um, and he's going to need an army. And in order to have an army, he's going to have to have a bunch of followers. Who can we manipulate into following someone? Well, let's think. Who's the most distressed and most in need and most vulnerable? Um, oh, the Fremen on Arrakis because they're literally dehydrated and, you know, gasping for a drink of water. Mm -hmm. Let's go tell them that this Messiah is coming and make that the only source of hope they have so that then when this, you know, super power player that we've created comes into play, now he has a whole army at his disposal and then we can use that to take over the universe. Mm -hmm. That's where I think that that's wrong. Yeah. Because we're just manipulating people now. Now we're just using people's need for hope and love and security as a way to manipulate them to get what we want. And I don't think that's okay. No, that's not okay. And so that's, that's my thought on that. <laughs> I think you laid that out very thoughtfully. I think 
Yeah, I think it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see what happens in part two because I'm going in decently blind. There's a few story points that, you know, I've had spoiled for me, but like, I think it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Um, we haven't even talked about really what goes on after he's introduced, you know, to the Fremen and whatever, because it turns out that the emperor did send them there to be massacred, actually. Mm -hmm. So he had staged this you know, coup against Leto Atreides to replace them with the Harkonnens and kill them all. And so, like, in the middle of the night, they come in and they kill a lot of House Atreides. You know, Paul and Jessica are able to escape into the desert, but they capture Leto, and Leto's able to, like, kill a few of the Harkonnens, but he, unfortunately, is killed. Um, and so... Harkonnens end up taking over Arrakis again and over the spice production. And everyone assumes, because there are Harkonnens that capture uh, Jessica and Paul, and they end up all dying, but then the other Harkonnens start believing, you know, because there's no trace of Paul or Jessica anywhere, that they must have died because no one survives the, the desert, yeah. desert of Arrakis. And so kind of spreads around the universe that all of House Atreides was just massacred type thing so well and that's what i think is interesting so you mentioned this when you're explaining how this is like a different sci-fi than others mm -hmm. they call it like soft science fiction because the science we're not really focused on like technological science it's like political science if you will when well, it's like weird things that help so like interstellar travel is by spice it's not by yeah you know any crazy technological advancements it's literally just the spice from arrakis that helps them travel across well, and, space and then that it, that creates interesting political dynamics because mm -hmm. like now you have like this whole economic political battle at play so i think that's what's really interesting because as you mentioned the harkonnens controlled it and then all of a sudden the emperor's like house of atreides get your ass over there yeah and you're going to take care of it now but really as you mentioned what it turns out is the emperor is just jealous of duke atreides because everyone loved him because he's oscar isaac and he's a sweetie and a hottie he was becoming a very powerful leader and people were afraid that i mean he was afraid that he would overtake him basically yeah so he like goes in cahoots with the harkonnens which is a big no-no because if the other houses find out that like the emperor's playing favorites they're going to get freaked out because if it can happen to the atreides it can happen to you mm -hmm. and so that's like under wraps um, but basically, they, like, join forces, and so the Emperor's army and the Harkonnen army just go and kill everyone. And there is a scene where I did question if Denis is a little fruity, because as <laughs> Oscar Isaac is about to die, he's fully nude. <laughs> and like, he's just, like... Truly draped over this chair, butt-ass naked, like... It's like, oh, it's hello. art. It's, it's art. And I said, okay, Denis, this is incredible. <laughs> um, but... It's just interesting, like, those politics, you know, and how that worked. Like, I thought it was thoughtfully done. Like, yeah. I think it feels very real to how humans act in our day and age. We're, mm -hmm. like, we're always after money and we're backstabbing people and we're, you know, making partnerships with these evil guys. And everyone just, like, has, a st like, something that they want, you know, and standing up for what's right gets your whole family murdered and... I just thought it was really interesting. I thought it was very thoughtfully done. Well, and it's very Game of Thrones-esque in this sense, too, because, like, you don't know who's on whose side type yeah. thing. Like, so the Bene Gesserit, like, it's revealed that they 
were in cahoots with like the Harkonnens and they were like, yeah, we're sending the Atreides to die. But the, the Reverend Mother talks with the Baron and is like, you cannot touch Jessica or Paul because they have their own, yeah. you know, intentions. And they're like, we can't just kill the Messiah type thing. So, well, and then they, so the Reverend Mother's like, you can't kill them. And the Baron's like, yeah, sure, babe. Yeah. And then he's like, drop him off in the desert. And they're like, what about the Reverend Mother? And he's like, I'm not killing them. The desert's killing them. Yeah. So he thought he ate, but little <laughs> did he know they survived. Yeah. Cause he's the Messiah and that's basically Mary. So when he's been having <laughs> visions about how to live in the desert his whole life. So he's like, yeah, easy. I literally know how to do all this. I dream about it every night. Yeah. Um, so I guess that's like an interesting segue into our final question is what did you think of how the, the movie ends? So, yeah. So they escape and, they end up, you know, which I don't, let's talk about this one scene actually, because I didn't know what to think of it. So they end up getting into sandworm territory and they end up running away from this sandworm. And like, it gets to a point where like the sandworm should eat them basically. And it pops up out of the ground and it like stares at Paul and then leaves is that just like because he got up on rocks like on a little hill or is it because it recognized him as the Lisan al-Gaib because they're like the sandworms are very religious to the Fremen as yeah. well like they're a, a part of their religion basically um so what do you think about that I, I noticed that this last time I was like why didn't it just like eat them I think it goes back to Mr. Paul's little question like are we like are they seeing that because that's what we're taught to see so i feel like in hindsight when you know that he's supposed to be like this religious figure it's like someone who views him as the messiah would think like oh my gosh this is a sign mm -hmm. whereas someone who doesn't believe that he's a messiah would be like well yeah he's up on a rock like yeah the, what's the worm gonna do like the worm like sucks in sand it doesn't like bite yeah you know so i don't know i think it just depends on if you believe if he's the messiah or not but that's the thing is like there's all these signs that he is but it is all manufactured like they bred him to be that way but i don't know i don't know if that ties into spirituality as well so like i don't know that's why this universe to me is very interesting yeah and very like thought-provoking in that sense because it's it just like sparks conversations i like agree that. i don't it's know just, it's a very interesting you know conversation about different cultures and views and faiths and religions and like how that shapes our worldview and our actions and how it also makes us vulnerable but also powerful it's, yeah. it's very interesting well because you have like other franchises you know like star wars or harry potter like in harry potter like <laughs> harry is the chosen one and like that is his destiny basically mm -hmm. like there's no way around it type you know because there's like a literal prophecy and whatever that he is and so like there's no other way to go about it but here it's like is he like there's all these different you know hearsays going on you know that the the fremen have their own prophecies about him like there's a part where one of the fremen doctors like is helping them like she's like going to show them the you know spice fields and whatever and how they um gather up the spice and whatnot and she sees that paul has already put on like the fremen outfit i don't know what else to call it just yeah. like the get up 
And she knows that it's really complicated to put on and like you need help the first time you get it on. And he's like, oh, I just put it on. And she's like, she like mumbles she, like, stuff. Quotes she like some scriptures like, he shall know your ways as if they yeah. were his own. And you're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> but it's because she's so, like seen these signs that the Bene Gesserit had said. But that's like. But is it just like a coincidence where he's like, because he is so smart and like has all of these advanced mental capabilities that he just knows like it's just like easy for him rather than him being an actual messiah well i think the Bene Gesserit knew that he'd be able to see the future so like because those, those are the visions that he has so he'd be able to see like how to put on the suit just from like the things that he's seeing mm-hmm. and so then they knew to tell the the fremen be like he'll know your ways we won't say exactly how but i'm sure he'll know something well that's that's what's annoying about the bene Gesserit is like they're planting like these little ideas but they're not s- specific you know it's like he's gonna put on this little outfit and know how to do it but it's he will know your ways and it's yeah, like it's like he'll he know put your on ways. an outfit like well, it's not that crazy and you find what you look for <laughs> i mean which that's what i think is you know goes back to your worm question that brought us here is like again if you think he's the messiah you're going to find you're going to look for evidence that supports that he is if you don't you're going to look for evidence that supports that he's not mm-hmm. and so it's kind of like that confirmation bias where you look for things that confirm what you already think is true mm-hmm. and that can be dangerous because like you said like it makes you vulnerable to being manipulated because if people say like this is going to happen but it's like super vague and then you find something that could you know possibly be tied back to what they said you're going to convince yourself that it's true yeah um and so i think that that's interesting and leaves us at an interesting point too where so he just like survived his little worm (laughs) encounter um and then he like kind of runs into the fremen Mm -hmm. you know and long story short after some fremen ritual of like killing someone yeah, there's He's, like a little standoff. Like they have to like, in order for them to accept Paul and Jessica into their group, because Stilgar, the guy that's like super religious and like believes that Paul might be the Messiah, he wants to accept them. But there's a few in the group that are like, no, he has to be accepted. And so he needs to like prove himself. And so they like choose one of their fighter or one of their, one one of of the the people in their challenges group. Paul. Yes, he challenges Paul. And he's like, it's to the death. So if you die, you die. We move on. But if the person that he is challenging dies, then he can be accepted in. So, and he ends up killing him. And they accept Paul. And a a few of them like unwillingly accept him. But But they're not trying to fight to the death either. Because Paul ate. And then that's kind of how the movie ends. It it, Paul, because Jessica is mad. She like wants to like, return to Caladan and whatever and figure out a way to get there and call all the other houses and like freak out at the emperor whatever and he like because of these visions that he is seeing like he saw Chani and Chani is there with this group so he's like my visions are true like I saw her and so he he's convinced that he needs to go with this group and learn their ways because that's what Leto told him earlier on in the film was that he wanted to learn about the Fremen more and not oppress them. And so Paul, I think a little bit was just like, I don't, if I am the Messiah, I'm going to have to like, you know, make sure I can actually prove to these people that I can save them. Well, that's, what's interesting is, um, this whole time he's kind of like fighting this idea that he's the Messiah, 
But then instead of like returning to Caladan with his mom or like, you know, going with that idea, he just like kind of accepts what he's been seeing, which is in a way, I don't think he fully realized it, but it's in a way accepting that he's going to like go down this path of like being the Messiah. Yeah. Because he's like been seeing these visions that are leading him to this path. And so like it kind of ends with like, he's still not fully convinced, but he is kind of accepting that like he's going to step into this destiny that he's been seeing in these visions. Um, but it's kind of clouded because he's doing it, not because he thinks he's the Messiah, but because he wants to like avenge his father and his house. Mm -hmm. But in doing so, he's kind of also accepting that he's going to like be a Messiah for these people, Yeah, which I'm excited to see how that plays out in part two. You know, I think there's going to be a lot of, of action. There's going to be a lot of battling. I mean, just from the trailers, you can see that there's, a lot more action there's not a there's a few scenes in part one but it is a whole lot of setup like and that's like where my one critique of this movie lies is it does come just to like a screeching halt at the very end it feels like you're about to get into the story and then it just ends it's just like yeah he goes off with the fremen and then cut to black well that's why this the second part's gonna be so good because it's gonna be the entire like part of the story that you've been wanting to see and waiting to see but i can appreciate that i don't think i would be this excited if i didn't have as much setup as i had had i feel like i understand what's going on well and i think because there's been a lot of like part one part part twos to a lot of different movies over the years you know like harry potter the last movie was split into two mocking jay for the hunger games was split into two which that one did not need to be split into two that was stupid but um <laughs> that's besides the point i think this one is necessary though oh yeah this world is so complicated and especially since we don't have any knowledge of this world outside of if you read the book like people that are just like moviegoers that just want to see a movie and not read it i think if you try to cram all of that into one movie because i can tell that this still has a lot left to go oh, like yeah. there's a lot of story left and so I think it was smart of Denis because he actually didn't know if he was going to be able to make a part two. He kind of took a gamble and was like, you know, this story requires two parts. You know, if I'm lucky, I'll get a part two if this first one is successful, which it was. And so Warner Brothers greenlit part two soon after part one was released. And I'm here for it. Part two is getting incredible reviews. So it paid off. It paid off. Oh, Dennis, you always know. So, anyway, final thoughts. What did you think of this movie? My final rating, 9 out of 10. I think that's what I would give it to. And I'm expecting a 10 out of 10 for part 2. <laughs> Don't get your hopes up. I, I'm putting my faith in Denis. I have faith in him. I think this is a passion project of his. Like This is what he's been working up to. Um, and I think he proved himself with his other sci-fi movies that he is capable of making a very dense and complicated story like this mm -hmm. work. And I mean, I've heard a lot of people say that like, there's a lot of stuff that's cut out from the books and, but you have to, with you them. have to, like, I don't think there's stuff that I've heard about this story that I'm like that. You just cannot put that in a movie. It just wouldn't work. I you think know? he does a great job of adapting a really complex yeah universe into something that audiences could actually understand and wrap their mind around yeah and i think just 
the whole storyline is very interesting and captivating. Um, but it, I, if you're watching it for the first time, like I'm glad you guys made it all the way through this podcast because it would have helped me a lot my first time watching it if I had the knowledge of, you know, like what the groups were, like what the houses and the Bene Gesserit were. Yeah. And so, yeah, I highly recommend this movie. I also give it a nine. But my one critique, I think one thing, too, that we haven't really discussed is I think some people were also critical because the book has Arabic influences. So like the Fremen are basically like Arab Arabic people. And I think Denis has mentioned this, that he some people have viewed this as like a white savior narrative. Mm. So like Timothy Chalamet saving all of these natives. You know yeah. what I mean? And so. I understand that, but Denis has also mentioned he's like, if you think that's where it's going, if you think that's be... where it's going, think again. <laughs> Denis has a twist up his sleeve, I'm sure of it. Well, and not even him. I think Frank Herbert, he has a he has a quote about like what the message is that he wants people to gather out of this whole story. And I'm gonna butcher the actual quote, but he said something along the lines of like, beware of charismatic heroes and leaders and so that's basically like the premise so of there's this. a little foreshadowing for, yes. for part two and i think that's interesting because i think i'm not gonna say names but like in our politics nowadays like in the u.s i think people really idolize politicians i feel like on both candidates both sides, yeah. you know what i mean and so i I understand that. I think people just idolize these people that I don't think are very good and it causes well, issues. Paul's dad even says an interesting quote where he's like, leaders don't seek to lead. They're called to it. Yes. And I think that that is where we are struggling in society today is all of the egomaniacs of the world are just like trying to be president of the United States and all of the people who would do a good job are smart enough to like not seek that out. Well, but we should also, be calling that. We should be calling the people who could actually do the job. Cause what is going on? No, I think if you think you can be president and like, think you do a good job, you're a narcissist. Yeah. I'm if just you, gonna if say you're like, that. I'm going to be a great president. You <laughs> have a, the ego, the size of Mars. You need to calm the hell down. That's insane. But we, what we need are the incredibly intelligent, humble, smart people who are like, I could never be president. And then we force them to be, a.k.a. George Washington. Yeah. And I, <laughs> I, I don't, this podcast is flying off the rails. I'm going to cut us off before we dive any further. Um, go see part one. Go see part one and, and vote. It's and on, then go see part two. It's on Netflix. I also think it's on HBO Max. Or Max, I guess, is all what it's called nowadays. It's stupid, but it's just called Max. But, um, yes, watch it. And then we will review part two on Tuesday. So let us know what you think of the movie. Okay. Love you. Bye. Love you.